Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. And welcome back to Soul to Soul. I'm Rabbi Ari Kievman. We are now standing at the threshold. We are nearly there. Rosh Hashanah is upon us. And of course, we're going to be spending a lot more time in shul and certainly want to make it a more or most meaningful experience indeed. So in recent weeks, we've been talking about how to make our prayers more meaningful. What I'd like to do today is to just quickly recap some of the ideas and to share with you a few more insights. I recently uh, was talking with a rabbi who said he was visiting a wealthy businessman in town. And uh, he was talking to this individual and the businessman, I guess not exactly the humble ilk, he started talking to the rabbi about all his vast holdings. And he said, look out the window. He starts showing the rabbi, boasting half the tall office buildings here in town. You see, they belong to me. And he goes on, that's besides for the large stocks and bond holdings and his liquid assets. And he's going on and on about all of his major investments, how wealthy, fabulously wealthy he is. And the rabbi says, you know, I don't understand. I pray to God three times a day. And I passionately beseech Hashem for wealth and to take care of my family, for sustenance, for all our needs. And you know, you, my friend, you come to Shul once a year on Yom Kippur. Look what God gives you. And this wealthy Jew turns to the rabbi and says, Look, I think the problem is very simple. God doesn't like nudniks. So that's just a joke. But indeed, we are here and uh, we're going to spend a lot of time in Shul. So let's not feel like nudniks. Let's see how we can make it most meaningful and uh, impactful in the best way possible. And we've been talking previous weeks about how we feel about prayers. And we got very interesting responses in here. What do people pray for? And people talk about praying for difficult, challenging moments that God should be there for them. God forbid someone is an ill. Maybe it's about expressing their gratitude for something good that happened in their lives. And of course, many others find challenges in prayer. They come to shul on Yom Tov and they find it boring. It's all Hebrew to them. They don't understand what's going on. We don't know how to pray. Some people find it too spiritual. Don't worry. Some shuls have lots of spirits, so it shouldn't be a problem if it's too spiritual. Others find it impersonal. You know, is it, is it, they find a, is it a personal relationship with God? Anyways, we went through a whole lot of these um, ideas that people shared through on the SMS line. And we explored various ancient prayers. We looked at the prayer of Hannah that's going to be read on Rosh Hashanah in the, the, the Haftarah. And we look at the prayers of King David. And we see different perspectives. Whereas... Chana is saying to God that, you know something, I just can't do this without you. And she's pouring out her heart to God. King David says, thank you, God, for everything you've done. I couldn't have done it on my own. I just couldn't have done it without you. And so if you look at the various prayers throughout our history, throughout Tanakh, throughout Jewish scriptures, on the one hand, they are all unique and different and personal. But at the same time, that is the common denominator, that each one is a personal reflection to God. So they might all be different, but that's the common denominator, that they're all a personal, private conversation with the Almighty. And many people wonder, what if they don't have what to pray for? And we spoke about the concept, the month of Elul, now as we stand before Rosh Hashanah, where God is all the more accessible and available, HaMelech Basada, the king is in the field. And so people ask for different things. 
But one clever person says, I don't want to ask for anything specific. I have no agenda. I just want a relationship with the king. Just connecting for the sake of connecting. And indeed, when we pray, when we just connect with God, when we connect with God, which in fact is the Hebrew, is the meaning of the Hebrew word for tefillah, whereas prayer means to request, tefillah means to connect. So when I'm connecting with Hashem, right, then it's not about, oh, I need something, but rather there's always room for something to pray for, just about connecting. You know, those people who only know your phone number when they need a favor. Don't be like that with God. Don't turn to God only when we need a favor, when we have a personal request, but rather connect for the sake of connecting. And just like you schedule time to connect with your loved ones, you want to connect with people who you love or value and appreciate and want to have a relationship with. The same thing is we should schedule time to pray, to connect with Hashem. As the Hebrew word for prayer, tefillah means to connect, whereas the English word prayer means to request. So in Hebrew, that would be bakasha, and it's not about requesting, but it's rather about connecting. So indeed, even if we're just practical people, it is about connecting with Hashem, and each one of us connects in our own unique, personal way. So keeping that in mind, we also discussed the idea of if I connect in my own personal way, why use the generic formula of a sitter? And we explained that just as before Rosh Hashanah, you might be sending a Rosh Hashanah greeting card to someone. And in, in, in general, if you look at the card, it probably seems generic. Most of these cards, you, by the way, looking for cards, go to ChabadSadavaga.org. We have a great variety of cards, and they're free. You can just send a card out for free, no donation or anything necessary. And you just think about this. It's not enough to send a card. you got to make it personal. you got to add that personal touch. And in that similar sense, we all struggle with articulating deep feelings. And just imagine all the more so when it comes to such a vast being as Hashem. We struggle with expressing ourselves properly. So we have a sitter. Or in the high holidays now, a machzer. And that helps guide our thoughts. And it helps us articulate the feelings we have inside. So we try to make the words our own. When we add our passion, our feelings, our touch... That's what makes it our own. And so, of course, in the Siddur, there are places, there are specific places where you could add your personal requests. And some people think, oh my goodness, if Rosh Hashanah is about coronating God as our king, then perhaps I should not be asking God for personal matters. Maybe Rosh Hashanah is a time I should be focused more specifically on spiritual things. Maybe Rosh Hashanah should be a time that I am only focused on the, on the spiritual, on, on coronation of God, on the transcendental God. And for that, I want to share with you that indeed, as you look at the prayers, you see, for example, Sefer Chayim Berachav Shalom That's just one quick one that comes to my mind that talks about Asking God for sustenance, asking God for our own personal things, asking God for health. Does that not seem selfish? But therefore, I want you to take a moment and to think for a moment about three important things that you need or would like to have that you consider God-oriented. Think of things in your life that you believe are spiritual. 
And then I want you to, con- to consider, and everyone's welcome if you want to send a message into the studio, please feel free to do so. Three important things that you need or would like to have that you consider self-oriented. And what I want to do now for a moment is to go to the story of Chana that we are going to read on Rosh Hashanah. And there in the story of Chana, we see that there she is struggling with her infertility and asking God to grant her a child. So she turns to God, begging, beseeching, pleading. And Eli, the Kohen Gadol, who is passing by, the verse, as we will read it, says, God, uh, Eli, considered her, thought of her as a shikara, a drunkard. And Eli says to her, How long will you be drunk? Remove the effect of the wine. Now, on a literal level, we understand that Eli was assuming her to be drunk because if you look at the context, her lips were mumbling, but her voice was inaudible. And from this, by the way, the commentaries tell us, we learn that when a person prays, particularly the Amida, when you're talking directly with God, then you should actually speak quietly. Only you should hear the words. But on a deeper level, our sages tell us that Eli was actually charging her. Eli was saying, you know, that is this the appropriate thing for you to pray for? Self-centered? Asking God for a child? It might be wonderful to have children, but that's your personal desire. When you stand before God, perhaps you should concentrate on God and not on yourself. So he's saying, Hannah, you're intoxicated, you're full of yourself. You're a narcissistic self-centered. All you care about is your own feelings, that you want a child. Why don't you focus on God? And this is essentially the problem that many people have or ask a question about when it comes to the prayers of the high holidays. Because why are we standing before God here on the holiest day of the year? And instead of being focused on spiritual pursuit, what do we ask for? We ask for our own personal needs and wants. So I'm going to discuss this a little bit and I'd like you then to reconsider what you included as God-oriented versus what you considered as self-oriented. Because the truth is that our desires and our needs and all our personal things can actually be seen as God-oriented. And of course, it could be seen as self-oriented. It all depends on how we perceive them. It all depends on your perspective. If we perceive them as personal needs and interests, then of course, there's nothing that's really godly about it. But if we start to perceive and think of even our own personal needs, whether it's your house, your car, or your holiday, you name it, as tools with which to serve God, as tools with which to fulfill your mandate, the purpose, the mission for which you were dispatched to this world, then it's not about us. Then it's not narcissistic at all. When we ask for health, when we ask for money, you want a comfortable house, you want a nice car, and all the other wonderful things that seem narcissistic, well, we could see it as asking for them because we want to use them as tools with which best to serve God. We want a home to make it a holy place to perform mitzvahs in, to invite others, to be able to share, and to offer hospitality and generosity. 
We might want a nice car to give lifts to people in need, maybe to drive people places to do mitzvahs. You think of the example. Think of money. Everybody likes to say money is the root of all evil. But that's not true. That's only if you want to use it in that way. But if you could use money for generosity, for charity, for good things, for whatever purpose you can imagine that is divine, that is good, then money is a great thing. And the same thing is with our health and with food and everything you desire. Vacation is wrong because your time is just vacant. It's empty. It's purposeless. But if it's holiday, if you're infusing every day with holiness, even if you're on the beach, but you are learning Torah, and that wisdom that you then learn, you could share and inspire others with. Ah, it's a whole different perspective. And this is what Hasidic thought explains, that the purpose why God created the world is for us to sanctify the physical and infuse it with purpose and holiness. And that's up to each of us. And that's why Rosh Hashanah is not celebrated yesterday, which was actually the 5,780th anniversary of the world's creation, but rather it will be celebrated on Sunday night, which is the sixth day of creation. That's the day man was created. The day that humanity was created by God, which is the entire purpose, the raison d'etre, for why God created this world. And so, of course, we need physical things, because we could use them in a holy, purposeful way. So when you are praying on Rosh Hashanah, and you're going to ask God for whatever personal things you want to acquire, as long as you have in mind the perspective that everything physical can be used for a spiritual purpose, then indeed, you come up with a plan on how to achieve that goal. And it's not selfish to ask for health, and it's not selfish to ask for wealth, and it's not selfish to ask for anything that you want. And Hasidus explains that any personal requests we have are not selfish if they are used for the purpose of serving God. They are used for making the world a better place. And therefore, it's not uh, contradictory to be on Rosh Hashanah. Indeed, it's the holiest day, Yom Kippur, the holiest day of the year. But we're asking for God's sake. And so, since we're asking for God's sake, we're saying to God, you help us make your world a holier place. And of course, money will help me do it. And all the other good things we want will help us do it. So, I think this is a very good point, and I hope if we could shape our perspectives in this way. Uh, somebody sent me this message here. Can we honestly say that when we pray, that <laughs> that we really have that in mind? Well, I think that's up to you, right? Because obviously we're physical people, and uh, obviously we're concerned with our own well-being, with our own lives. And in truth, if we're not healthy, or if we don't have uh, financial prosperity... We might feel terrible, but maybe if you just alter the perspective and think about it from that perspective that for a higher and godly purpose. I know it sounds a little bit uh, ingenuine, but if the more you think about it, the more you study Hasidic thought and you realize that we're here to fulfill a higher purpose, then maybe you could actually uh, fulfill that mandate. But I give that challenge to you to the person who messaged here anonymously. But that's a message to all of us. And I bet that your question is a question that many others have as well. How to do that? So maybe just reframe our daily desires and realize that it's not about our personal needs and interests. If you put it in this perspective, then indeed, yes, the things you need, if you need them for a higher purpose, there's nothing wrong. Don't be embarrassed to ask God for your personal needs. 
And uh, let's talk more about that when we're right back. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. And so we've been talking here about the perspective we have when praying on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and why we ask God for our personal needs if perhaps this should be a time of more spiritual pursuits. And indeed, the question that came through, let's be real. And indeed, I'm saying let's be realistic because when we desire a comfortable home or a nice car, whatever it is you think, there's two elements here. On the outer plane, why do we want it? You're right. I don't disagree with you. We want it for ourselves. But I want to say to you and to all of us is the root of this desire is actually deeper within us. If you look at what your soul desires, our soul wants it because it's yearning to elevate the divine sparks and using these things for a mitzvah. So our soul within us understands that physical success is needed for us to fulfill our ultimate plan in this world. And that's why there's nothing wrong with craving wealth and health and car and money, whatever those things are. And don't feel so selfish or impulsive because those things, there might be selfish desires, you're right. But if you're going to refine it, and use it for the divine purpose, then hopefully you will be able to fulfill your divine mission in this world. In fact, the Baal Shem Tov, founder of the Hasidic movement, he showed us that instead of seeing all our physical desires as coming from narcissistic, selfish drives, that it's just for our own selfish desires, our ego, we could all see them as reflections of our neshamas, of our souls. And it's true that in our conscious minds, we want all these things, larger homes and fancier cars and bigger stock portfolios, whatever it is. And we want it for our own personal gratification, granted. But we need to remember that deep down, these desires we have are expressions of our soul's deepest and holiest yearnings. These are tools in our life to serve God. So if we could train ourselves, my friends, train yourself to listen, listen to your soul, then you'll start hearing the echoes of our soul's footprints in our everyday lives. And I really truly hope that indeed all of our physical desires and requests, as self-oriented as they are, and there's nothing wrong with it being self-oriented, but realize that for a higher, for a more pious and holier purpose, every one of us craves for physical needs. Why? So we can fulfill and accomplish our divine purpose. And this desire is what motivates and underlies what we perceive perhaps as selfish, perhaps as mundane, indeed. But the real nature and identity of all our selfish desires is really the soul's divine drive, which is why when we pray, our sages included prayers, requests for personal things. Nothing wrong. Yeah, I know, we, we usually think at this time of year, of course, as as uh, focused in God. So you know what I'll tell you? Indeed, don't see it just as our requests. If you realize that all of these requests we have, we're asking God to help us grant His request. We're doing this for God's sake. So I think it's if we could train ourselves and we could think consciously that 
all these things. You want a nice house? You want it so you can live more Jewishly. So you could observe Shabbos and holidays. And we could raise our children to a life of Torah. And the Torah, everything that we're learning, uh, invite the underprivileged to come join you. And have a big Shabbos table with lots of guests. And the same thing is with your furniture and your car and your money. This is, this is what, 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 what the purpose of our health and wealth is for. So when we ask God for health, we train ourselves to think that the real reason we want to be healthy is so we could fulfill our purpose. Our body could be trained into an instrument of God's will. So I think that's a, a, a perspective. And again, if you think back to what we said before, as God-oriented items and your self-oriented items, think now how all of those items indeed could be used for a holier purpose. And I think that's certainly a important perspective to keep in mind in this time of year. So we did have some other questions, and I do want to recap a few other ideas that we discussed last week in order for us to maybe to share with you another point or idea. So indeed, yes, we ask God for, for dew and rain and all the things to bless us and to bless our families with whatever else it is. But people wonder if God decides a verdict of what is going to happen for the year on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, then does that mean that's it? Is there no appeal system? What if, um, what if I've changed? What if I've done teshuva? Can, can my verdict for the year not change? And for that, I want to share with you a fascinating story, the story of a great king in Jewish history. And that king I'm referring to is King Chizkiyahu, who was a descendant of David Amalek of King David. And unfortunately, from the time of King David, he was great. And King Solomon, a successor. But King Solomon's successors, we know afterwards, was a split in the Jewish kingdom. And many of our kings, sadly, have digressed from the Jewish path. Many of them followed a betrayed God and began to worship idols and closed the temple and many other terrible, sad things. But King Chizkiyahu was not like that. And we read in the book of Kings how when King Chizkiyahu fell ill, the prophet of his time was Isaiah. Yeshayahu came to him and said that God said it's time for you to put your house in order because you're going to die. And it's a very sad story. And the Talmud records a fascinating conversation that then ensued between King Chizkiyahu and the prophet Isaiah. And at a certain point in their conversation, the king asks the prophet whether he can do anything to free himself from this Terrible decree, he's going to die. And Chizkiyahu tells him, sorry, it was already decreed, already, that's it. And Chizkiyahu looked at him and said, Ben Amots, son of Amos, he tells him, stop prophesizing. I don't like prophets of doom and gloom. I want you to leave because I've received the tradition. And here are the words. Even if there's a sharp sword against a person's neck, never refrain from praying for mercy. And so when we're back, we're going to continue with the story and see how you could perhaps change 
a verdict that has already been issued. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. And welcome back. We were talking about King Chizkiyahu, about his prayer, and he begs God. He beseeches the Almighty. And guess what happens? Just as the prophet Isaiah is leaving the palace grounds, Hashem turns to him and says, you go back and tell the, tell the king, tell Chizkiyahu that his prayer has been accepted. So you look here. The prophet Yeshayahu says to King Chizkiyahu that he's about to die. That's it. There's nothing left for him to do. It's already been decreed. And yet, he's able to change that decree through prayer. And I think this is the power of prayer. When we pray, whether it's every day or especially now in the high holidays, we ask God to grant us our personal request. And I think perhaps a good analogy for this would be, why would God change his mind? Why would God grant it if it was already decreed and decided? But I think there's a very powerful idea here. Imagine a parent who is homeschooling the child. You know, so from 8 o'clock in the morning till 4 o'clock in the afternoon, don't call me mom. Now I'm your teacher. And during those hours, the ki- the teacher, the mother... It's not in a parent relationship with the child. I'm your teacher now. But now what happens when they come home? Uh, is the mother still the teacher? No, now she's the mother. And now she's going to teach the child or treat the child in a way different than in the classroom. It's not the same. So imagine the teacher, the mother who's the teacher, makes a rule in the classroom for all the students. If you get a particular grade, you will get... Ice cream. We'll go to Gelatissimo and get a nice treat. That's what my kids like. And the kid didn't perhaps reach that threshold that the teacher demanded. But don't forget the teacher's not only a teacher, but a mother, a parent. And a parent loves their child. On the high holidays, we refer to God as Avina Makenu, our father, our king. The king sometimes makes harsh decrees. The king sometimes is difficult and rigid, makes rules. But God is also our parent. God loves us. God treats us like a child, even if we're imperfect. And sometimes we're not deserving. But we as parents know that the love of our children, we're willing to do things for them, even sometimes when they don't deserve. So let's think about this, how God created a formula and a structure that dictates who gets what, and when, and how. And this is all part of the decision-making that happens. But maybe it's a merit-based system. Maybe it's about what we deserve. But a parent doesn't always do what the child deserves. Sometimes God gives us beyond what we deserve. And just as King Chizkiah was able to beg and beseech God to change the decree, as he said, even a sword on your neck... Never give up hope. Never despair. So I think here is again a very powerful point that when we pray, we are revealing this really special relationship that we have with God that transcends any systems because God is Avinu Makenu, our Father, our King. It's not just about 
the it's not just about the merit based system. I think it's it's a very important lesson for all of us to apply in our lives as well and to keep in mind when we pray. And that's why we say in our prayers, he writes on, May it be your will, Almighty God, even if I don't deserve, maybe you could create a new will. Maybe you could create a new will, a will in which I am deserving of the blessings that I request. So with that, I would like to conclude and to really share with you about our relationship with God as Rosh Hashanah comes. And when you come to Shul and you pray, first of all, to pray at your pace. It doesn't matter what page the Chazan's at. You find a passage that resonates with you. Linger there for a while. Connect with it. Spend some time there. When you pray and you pray in a relevant and a meaningful way, and you could ask for your personal things as we discussed here today because even your personal requests are ways of serving God in, we need those things to serve God in our own unique way. So let's conclude today that whatever physical things you need, ask God for. And may God respond with an open hand and, and, and give you abundant blessings, shower you with blessings. Whatever you ask for, whether it's health or wealth or happiness, it should all come your way. Because we realize that at the end of the day, we're doing this for God's sake. So maybe instead of saying, please heal Adam so that he and his family no longer suffer, which is a great prayer. And it's it's meaningful it's asking God that he should no longer be ill. But maybe we could say, God, Please heal Adam so that he and his family don't suffer anymore. And so that through this prayer being answered, I will see your hand in my life. Or please allow me to see your presence in my life by blessing us today with success in all our matters and business and you name it. Because we're not just, we're not just asking God for our physical things, but we're asking God that we could see God's hand in our lives and see the divine purpose for all of the things that we have. And please God, all of our requests will be granted to the fullest extent with abundance of all good in a most revealed way. And perhaps that's why we ask God for not just Shana Tova, because we know everything God does is good. But we say Shana Tova, umetukat should be a good and sweet year. Why? You look at the honey. Honey comes from a bee. And a bee stinks. And we're saying everything God does is for the good. So even the stings of life are obviously for a good reason. But we ask God, we don't want it to be a sting. We want it to be like honey. It should be sweet and lekka. It should be revealed good in a way like honey, that we feel the good, that we see it sweet, we taste it sweet. It's palpably sweet in a revealed good way. And with that, my friends, I wish you all a meaningful Shabbos, Shana Tava, a good sweet year, a most meaningful Rosh Hashanah, and all the... All the blessings you ask for should come to you in the most beautiful ways.